still finally gave the Ringers Philly crew a podcast. I'm Ben Solak. And I'm Shiel Kapadia. That's right, just a couple Philly guys with the new space to fire off some Eagles takes, get caught up in the Sixers chaos, and more. We'll be coming to you twice a week on Sundays and Thursdays, plus bonus episodes whenever we get breaking news or Philly drama. Plus, when Harden and Embiid somehow convince you suckers that this year's going to be different, our fellow Philly stands at the Ringer will have you covered on the Sixers and all your other favorite teams in town. It's Philly Sports Shield. What could possibly go wrong? Join the fun and follow the Ringer's Philly special now on Spotify. It's the Full Go presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up, and with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. And right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays, or SGPs as the kids like to call them, all on one page. Plus, start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21+. plus. 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit rg help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Chicago everywhere. Check it. Not enough Chicago. We just don't have enough Chicago people. Jason Goff is here. Well, I'm at Full Go. The Full Go Podcast. The Full Go. Bears, Bulls, White Sox, Cubs, and Blackhawks. Our man, Jason Goff. Three times a week with Jason Goff. His mood is elevated. He is feeling good. Jason, I'm loving the Full Go. Love the Full Go. The Full Go. The Full Go. Welcome to Full Go with Jason Goff. That is what I'm talking about. What up, world? You're listening to The Full Go with Jason Goff, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so crazy because you, you, you see things and you're like, ah, but the other thing should happen because that's what my brain is telling me. But right. I don't know how you could look at these two teams and think that one isn't better than the other. Um, not by leaps and bounds, but by enough of a margin that when the other team plays its ass off and you're still just hanging around like... The Lakers, what episode is this, by the way? 244? 244, yes. Oh, yeah. Welcome into episode 244 of the Full Go Podcast. I'm Jason Goff. This thing is brought to you by The Ring. And of course, Spotify is the gang. The voices that you have already heard are that of Chris Sutton and my main man, Tony Gill. Um, before we jump into the the, the local yokels, um, yeah, the, the Lakers, they, they've been playing. I, I mean, what? They've played eight quarters of a, a 2-0 series deficit. I, I'd argue that the Lakers have played just as well as the Nuggets in four. Maybe it's a four-four split right now in terms of quarters. Um, and in the end, you had Game One where the menace came out and was an absolute menace, and you couldn't do anything about it. You messed around, found something at the end of Game One, and Rui Hachimura and defensively, how you know if you show him a little bit something different, a little bit more of a stout player uh, and a player who's actually willing to bang him, and also. Um, you know, the Anthony Davis part of this thing, I think, is the most interesting because LeBron James ain't going to be able to stick Nikola Jokic for five more games. And I thought tonight was as good a defensive performance as I saw out of LeBron James this entire year. Um, and I watch, you know, I watch a decent amount of Lakers basketball after Bulls games if they're playing that second game, if I can get in a game on the NBA package. But tonight, and I think that's what you saw too. I mean, LeBron was he was smoking layups, man. <laughs> he was out there. You know, I, I think we don't give enough credit to the people that we saw do it back in the days. And I know, you know, y'all know me. I've never been a, a back in my day kind of guy because I always understand and appreciate the evolution of all the games that we're watching. But watching guys do it. F- the way that they 
they did it in the late 80s, early 90s, and of course, the golden era of basketball to me, which was 90s basketball. Um, this is the reason why you saw 12, 13 year careers, right? Like guys get ground into dust. <laughs> and by the time you look up, it's year 12. And it's like, all right, who's the next guy? These dudes have been able to play 18, 19, 20 years. And I remember talking about this the first time I saw Kevin Garnett and thinking to myself, man, there, there's a chance you could have a 20-year NBA player, not just a 20-year player that's at the end of a bench and waving a towel. You know, shout out to James Buddha Edwards and Robert Parrish and those dudes. That It was always like one or two big men at the end of the Bulls championship run benches where it's like, ah, that guy used to be cold. But you ain't going to see it, you know, like John Sally and all those dudes. Now you got guys who are starring in their 19th and 20th year. So for LeBron James to have to defend the way he did and Nikola Jokic, for whatever reason, at the beginning of the game, wasn't very aggressive. Uh, he was, you know, picking his spots here and there, but he wasn't the Nikola Jokic we saw in the game one. The Lakers, that game felt like it was um, not out of reach, but it felt like it was the Lakers game. And then all of a sudden, the Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray thing, just the space and the pace and the movement. Jamal Murray got open for a lot of shots and was doing a lot of his step back dancing and all those things. But the way that the, the, the Nuggets played, especially in that fourth quarter, is getting the ball out of their hands and, and pushing the ball up the court. But the, the, the half-court defense for the Lakers, uh, the reason why Rob Palenka deserves a ton of credit is because of what he put together at the trade deadline. And, you know, also, I mean, Austin Reeves, man, like that boy's going to get, y'all talking this four years, 50-something million dollars, that boy going to get 80-plus, 87, 88. We're talking close to $90 million for the way he played. And for anybody out there who thinks a second-round pick doesn't matter or an undrafted player doesn't matter, they matter when they matter like this. Right? Like, it ain't just the Isaiah Thomases of the world and some of these guys that you see getting picked in the second round or some of these undrafted free agents that'll pop up, you know, the, the, the Chris Middletons of the world. No, man. They matter when they matter like this. So, for the Bulls to not have a pick in this entire first round and this entire second round of the 2023 NBA draft, yeah, that's also another scarlet letter on your resume. Because a dude like Austin Reed, like... I saw the weird energy at the beginning of that game between Austin Reeves, D'Angelo Russell, and LeBron James. And I, you know, I try to keep my eye on how LeBron is moving to tell me how the game is going to go. First game, I was like, oh, yeah, they got no chance because I could tell the way LeBron James was moving was, you know, he was moving with that woe is me energy, to be honest with you. And all of a sudden, Anthony Davis started to hit some shots. LeBron started to hit some shots and things changed. I saw in the beginning of the, the Nuggets-Lakers game two where Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell was kind of doing their own thing out there and sometimes performing well, sometimes performing efficiently, but other times wasting possessions. And LeBron was sitting there, you know, with the, you know, all right, y'all go ahead and go ahead and do this. You know, I'm not Anthony Davis. I need to touch the ball every once in a while. And it also speaks to how you affect the game when you're not scoring because I didn't think Anthony Davis had a bad game. I think he didn't play well offensively. There's a lot of open shots that he missed that he usually makes. Um, I don't know what the infatuation with the wing and corner three was with Anthony Davis down the stretch with them putting him in positions where he was going to be the swing swing dude and all of a sudden he's left open for a three-pointer. But oh, I thought I defensively, Anthony... What do you mean? Uh, well, AD? You, think, you think that's a good shot? Oh, no, no, no. I'm just saying. Once AD is tired of all the physicalness and all the, the things that are happening down low, um, he sneaks, he sneaks out. That's his bag. I, I thought he see, I thought he I thought he played I thought he played a tough game. You thought he played poorly? Like I think he I think he didn't play well no, on no, the no. offensive end, but I thought he played his ass off defensively. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if if he's feeling the physical nature of a game he'll have possessions or he'll have things on offense that uh, it's easier to, to to take this step back here. And I get it. Like, he's not used to playing this. This is probably the most physical I've seen Anthony Davis play, like, in a playoff run. Like, the bubble run, he was making every jump shot. So he didn't really have to go in, in inside. This, is, this run, he's been in there. And there are times throughout the games where that kind of, you you mentioned it that fatigue set in. You you do something that you physically are used to doing, which is to kind of take that step back, take that long mm -hmm. range jumper, and take that corner three. Mm -hmm. That's just kind yeah. of what comes with Anthony Davis. Deferring, 
Let's say let's 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 stop talking about it like it ain't what it is. It, certain times in certain games, guys opt out of the tougher tougher situations, and hopefully your teammates can carry you. Like when Rui Hachimura goes seven to seven in the first half, that's the production that Anthony Davis should have had. His seventeen points. All right, he's he spotted you that you expect some regression to the mean, and all of a sudden the second half rolls around, Rui Hachimura turns back into Rui Hachimura. By the way, there are certain guys who you're like ah. I knew he was going to be all right. He just had to bounce around and find his way. I always thought Rui Hachimura was going to be a player. I all like at Gonzaga when I first saw him. I'm like, oh, this shit is this shit is next level Rudy Gay over here. Like, what's happening, right? Like, I thought Rudy Gay was going to be cold. You can't tell me six eight six nine be able to do everything like that. You shouldn't be cold. But obviously, you know, he, and he had a terrific, terrifically long career. Was it 18, 19 years, something like that in the NBA? But Rui Hachimura, who when the Bulls poor man's Kevin Durant. See, you need to knock it the fuck off. (laughs) See, these are the kind of things that you do that that just derail (laughs) spirited and fun conversations. Okay? All right, so now I'm done talking about the NBA playoffs, and we can move on. I was not really game with poor man's Kevin Durant. (laughs) Oh, my God, that's, 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 that's... Diet Kevin Durant. Fucking homeless Uh, man's Kevin Durant. The fuck are you talking about? (laughs) Poor man's Kevin Durant. Wait, wait. Do you think Kevin Durant isn't turning into Rudy Gay? You know, maybe nah, they're, they're, they're crossing. That's, that's, maybe he's uh, coming you guys, back. You guys are, uh, got all the fucking jokes tonight, don't we? You know the journeyman? Yeah. You know the journeyman that plays for like 20 years? That's Kevin Durant, man. Yeah, these last few years have, <laughs> haven't been kind to his legacy, so might as well start on the journeyman, you know? <laughs> See Kevin end up in Charlotte in year 21, just knocking down jump shots. <laughs> I, just, I just love hooping. Shoes. I just love hooping. Right, we're going to we're gonna right. have to tell Katie yeah. to go home. Like, go home, baby. You ruined it, everything. No doubt about it. No <laughs> doubt because, like, we've never known about a love interest to speak, to speak of. If I'm not mistaken, he doesn't have any kids. Like, mm. it is basketball, music, and not caring about your hair. Those, like, those Weed. are the three things that, that have been consistent in his life. Well, I mean, I think... I mean, weed kind of filters its way into all of those things, to be honest with <laughs> Man, you. I he mean, is like, passionate about it. As he should be. Wait, 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 wait. Katie and weed? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Katie smokes weed? Oh, <laughs> You're funny. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait. No, I, 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 are you being, I heard about this. Are you, are you really? joking, Chris? Wait, Katie, is, uh, he's like a weed advocate. Oh, oh yeah. No, I'm he's, just he's hearing ta- about he's, this. He's talked about it on For real? Major Let. Yeah, him and David Letterman sat down yeah, on the Netflix show. Yeah, he went Letterman high. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, I didn't yeah, see he that He told one. Letterman, he was like, I'm high right now. Yeah, and he, and he talks about what it does for his recovery. And he's also um, heavily oh, invested. everything. Heavily, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. come on. You come oh, on. For real. You, you, I don't know how you, I miss real this. Real ones relate. You know, you, you, can, you can tell. You can tell. Like, oh, okay. man, when this, it's gonna, when this Slim Reaper pack coming that. out. Yeah. Oh, that's. Oh, the, the packs these days got so many fucking unpleasant names on them that that might as well be the next one. You know I mean? The Durantula like, pack. Oh, come on, I, man. Right. I got this. I got here? this pack of you. I got this pack of you, Tony Braxton. Never breathe again. It's like, hey, man, I am just trying to. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just trying regular. to go right, right. Just trying to go to the cleaners today. <laughs> cleaners run, maybe, <laughs> maybe make a sandwich. Like <laughs> stepping on the was high. We need a we need a story <laughs> when when so, when when they hit a little little louder than you th- than you thought it did. <laughs> you you missed oh, a whole day. You or... want... <laughs> oh, what? I've been doing this since I was a kid. I never forget. Not not that, but I, I never I never forget. The, the scene is eighty eight forty five South State Street, my grandmother's house that I spent damn near every weekend from age five to age sixteen, seventeen years old over her house. Uh, I believe it was the summer of nineteen ninety. Somewhere around there. I was 10 years old. And, uh, you know, you know, when you got a kid, a cold as a kid, like my, my child is, is getting into that super independent stage where it's like, I would have put my own lotion on. I'm like, go right ahead. Shit. I'm tired of greasing up your oily self. I mean, your, your ashy ass anyway. Like go start to do things for yourself, right? Like get things out of the refrigerator. You know, at 10, you think you're a grown ass man. I knew that I hadn't been feeling well. <laughs> so I ducked into my grandmother's medicine cabinet and there was a little bit of NyQuil left in the bottle, like a little bit, a little bit. And I'm like, oh, well, don't need a measuring cup for a little bit, do you? Threw it back. This might have been about 
11, 11, 30 kids out there, if you're listening, don't self-medicate. <laughs> but, you know, I wanted to be done with my cold. It's time to go kick it outside at some point. Uh, threw it back, like, early afternoon, you know? Woke up around 8.30, 9 o'clock that night, and uh, realized that I had taken... Because the moment I, I threw it back, it's like, you ever expect something to happen, and then you end up, like... I expected like a drop or two. I had an entire like mouthful of NyQuil. And I was like, oh, this got to go somewhere. <laughs> Can't spit it out in the sink now. Swallowed it. Woke up. <laughs> then the next night, damn near <laughs> feeling refreshed, you know. But yeah, man. I've, uh, you know, before all these rappers started influencing these kids to drink the lean, a young Jason Goff in 1990 was sipping on that NyQuil syrup and knocked my ass right on out. But yeah, there's been, there's been moments where it's like, yeah, this is, this is too much for me. And <laughs> I am, uh, <laughs> I am dedicated to, uh, not being awake at this time. Yeah. I remember the first time I ever took an edible. First time I ever took an edible. Uh, I did the classic, this shit ain't working <laughs> and oh, no. took, took, took the rest. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was a long, long night for the kid, but I usually, you know, you know, when I have vibed in my life, uh, I'm usually in safe surroundings. <laughs> the environment <laughs> isn't too loose. You know, I, I, I'm not trying to be out there with anybody and having to bump into people while, you know, I'm enjoying that that experience. That's not my vibe. I'm not, you know, I, I like to be close to a body of water. <laughs> I like to have a nice little breeze blowing. Shout out to the city of Chicago in the summer. If you see me outside during the off season, just nod and wave. I'm feeling good. You don't even have to ask. You know, <laughs> that, like that's how I like to enjoy it. So shout out to Kevin Durant. I don't know how this conversation got here, but we, yeah, we, we'll some, we, we, we somehow went from Rui Hachimura being Kevin Durant to uh, <laughs> me drinking too much night grill at my grandmother's house. I guess we can now get the show started. <laughs> We'll be back with more of the full goal with Jason Goff. After a word from our sponsors. Bulls talk with Jason Goff on the full goal. Flies in with a two-handed slam dunk. Brought to you by The Ringer, a Spotify original. All right, so I got some things that I definitely want to get into. Tony Gill. Uh, you're a man about town. You you, you keep mm-hmm. your ear to the street. Uh, what's hot these these uh, these days? Because this summer is this summer is going to be a um, and I made jokes about it to start this summer, and I didn't know that they would be um, self fulfilling prophecies this early in this baseball season. <laughs> but on, on one side of town, you got you got a manager who can't press the right, uh, get somebody out out of the bullpen button because everybody <laughs> is trash right now. And then on the other side of town, you've got uh, just the lackluster performances of several players at the beginning of the season still hanging over organization and franchise, even though Luis Robert has turned into, you know, some of the things that we hoped he would in this last little couple of weeks. He's leading the American League last I checked in home runs. Uh, Tim Anderson solely, not solely responsible, but had a large part in their loss in their third game uh, to not complete the sweep against the Guardians. Uh, getting caught stealing in a, in a pivotal situation and then not being able to execute uh, a routine play uh, grounder with the with the defield the defense drawn in the infield in situation where a run scores you don't get the out he bobbles the ball um, they lose three to one to the Guardians but what else is uh, what else is going on in the world Uh yes so let's we can we can start uh, locally and then branch out so. Rumor has it that the third pick in the this year's NBA draft could be up for grabs, as it seems like the Blazers are still locked in on winning a championship with Damian Lillard. But it seems like Blazers fans may not be down with that plan. Dame quote mm-hmm. tweeted a fan saying, if the fans want to trade me, start the petition and send it in. Should the Bulls inquire for Dame or the pick? So I've always had... Um, this leaning when it comes to Dame Lillard. Uh, I thought for a very, very long time, Dame Lillard got all the spoils of being treated like a superstar with none of the superstar pressure. And then when he started to ring the bells about being an all-star, 
you know, I was like, all right, here comes that superstar pressure that you've been waiting on. And it never quite hit. And any time, and this is, you know, I could be out of town stupid and our guy Chris Sutton is, is in the state of Oregon. So he's, you know, closer to the ground on this than me. But it seems like any time the, the Dame Lillard tree has been shaken in terms of um, not just not unrest, but like a little discomfort, whether it be the Chauncey Billups um, stamping in terms of the hiring and then people digging through Chauncey Billups's uh, past and Dame's like, hey, don't look at me. I didn't sign off on this coach. It seems like, you know, self-inventory is key. And knowing what you can and can't deal with, like all these years that Dame has been doing the whole, I'm loyal to the soil, you know, I'm I'm from the town. So, you know, this is how I was born and bred. I'm going to be loyal to Portland. LaMarcus, you don't want to be here. That's fine. I'll stay here. I think Dame understands the game as well. I think Dame wouldn't be able to move like Dame moves in Chicago, New York, or L.A. Um, There is something to playing in a small market and appeasing those small market fans, but also then wanting to make sure that your legacy is intact. And Dame is getting to that point now where, yeah, the waving goodbyes to to Paul George and Russell Westbrook, the 60-point games, the 40-foot the threes, like he's done all those things. Those things, every, he's got his dough. And the only thing that this hasn't been present in his career is long playoff run, sustainable championship type of contention. So now... You're in this mix where, okay, you're at the point where Dame Lillard has played a lot in the NBA, played some heavy minutes in the NBA. He doesn't want to be a part of a rebuilding thing. The Portland Trailblazers definitely should start to rebuild at this point. Like, you've, you've hit your ceiling when it comes to Dame Lillard and the C.J. McCollum era. And when C.J. went to New Orleans, the clock started ticking. That was it. And when Anthony Simon started cooking, clock started ticking. When you draft Shaden Sharp, clock starts ticking. Like, when, once an organization tells you, like, an organization has never and will never tell a LeBron James, uh, we're going to start to move with these young dudes while you get older and hopefully you can bring them along. Like there's a certain caliber of player that doesn't have to deal with that. And now that Dame Lillard has to deal with that, anytime there's a little bit of a pushback, he brings up and he throws his loyalty to the team and to the organization in the faces of the fans. All that petition stuff, all that is, is passive aggressive posturing and saying, well, if y'all don't want me, I can leave anywhere. I could have been left. Like, that's how I see that. That's how I feel about that. And when you do leave, he is such a gravitational force that you got to be careful that you're not going to make the mellow deal, right? Like the, the Kobe deal. When Kobe wanted to be a bull and all the things are going back and forth and people were talking about, you know, who they had to give up. And Kobe uh, rumors has it that he said, hey, I want to play with Luol Deng. And if Luol Deng is not on the team, then what are we talking about here? Carmelo Anthony, you know, when he was traded, you saw how much had to go back for Carmelo Anthony. Like when you trade a star of that magnitude in this portion of their career, especially with that being a little guy whose game is going to translate here for a little bit longer because of the way he plays. And, you know, the fact that he's not one of these ultra physical point guards and he's still got enough finesse and shot making ability to his game that when you do that, you're not looking at it as, you know, this is a two year, three year thing. He might be around for four or five, six more years and and playing at a decently high level. So what is that window going to look like? If I'm the Bulls and and and, and they're asking me <laughs> what I want to give up for Dame Lillard, it's cool to say give up everything. But looking at it realistically, you're going to have to give up a lot just to start the conversation, right? And then now you're talking about what? Zach Levine? DeMar DeRozan, well, DeMar DeRozan is an expiring asset, no matter how great an asset you might think he is. So that takes a little bit of steam off the deal. Now you're talking about Patrick Williams. Okay, there's still some. I'm not one. You know, I hope Patrick Williams blossoms into whatever he is supposed to be because I think that's where we are now with Pat Williams. It's not what you think he should be. It's whatever he's supposed to be. And whatever he's supposed to be, I think is going to be a far cry from what um, a lot of us anticipated just because we see the physicality and the, the you know, some of the, the, the glimpses that 
came a little bit more frequently at the end of the year. But if we're talking Zach Levine and Patrick Williams and all this other stuff, I mean, who's he going to play with? And where do you find yourself in terms of how different are you in the East? Say right now, Zach Levine, Patrick Williams, and I don't even know if that works in a trade machine. And maybe, you know, uh, another player or uh, a pick down the line and gets thrown into a deal for Damian Lillard. Okay. So now you're playing with Damian Lillard and DeMar DeRozan and, and, and Nikola Vucevic, right? Now, shot making has gone up. Basketball IQ has gone up. Um, but you've gotten smaller on a team that defense is its calling card because offensively, you got too many guys who don't complement each other. Obviously, he's going to compliment and, and make up for your outside shooting woes, but I'm not... I'm not as jazz like it sounds amazing and it sounds uh, like a great 2K trade, but you trade for Damian Lillard, you're hoping that you're contending for an Eastern Conference title. I don't know that you will give up uh, enough to acquire him, but to also still remain an Eastern Conference contender. Because let's face it, you know Zach Levine, Demar Derozan, and Nikola Vucevic were in the playing game, so Damian Lillard. DeMar DeRozan and Nikola Vucevic going to be what? Sixth seed? You know? Fifth seed? And you can say, hey, look at Miami. But as much as you want to talk about Jimmy Butler, and if you like him, love him, hate him, anywhere in between, he's got skins on the wall. Like, he's, he's done this repeatedly. I haven't seen Damian Lillard do this repeatedly. No matter what conference you're playing in, no matter who you're playing against, when it's time for the man to stand up, certain dudes got to sit down. I'm not saying that Damian Lillard is always the dude that has to sit down, but he's been made to sit down by some of the dudes. So, you know, I mean, and the way we talk about this thing, too. I mean, Anthony Davis is a top five talent. You know, game to game, we shit on him like he's a bum. You know what I mean? Like, so it's, it's not just who you have in the moment. It's how those players complement other players. You, you immediately become a worse defensive team. You become a better shot-making team. And now you got to go up against the likes of, you know, the, the Boston Celtics, whatever they look like going forward, whatever the Philadelphia 76ers look like going forward, whatever the Milwaukee Bucks feel like going, look like going forward. Is the Eastern Conference topsy-turvy enough with some of the moves that have already been made and coaching um, uh, decisions that have already been made for you to make this move and you become one of the top four teams in the Eastern Conference? I'm not sure of it. I'm not sure. I would love to say yes off top. Yes. Stamp it. Keep it moving. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure, man. What do, what do, you, what do you feel? There's so many people and don't have... get me wrong. For the story, I would hey, listen. Yeah. Do, the, do the deal yesterday. <laughs> yeah, do the deal I mean, yesterday so I can enjoy something else besides the shit that I've been watching over the last couple of years. I, I, I get it. And it does feel like a 2K trade. But I, I don't like the feeling that the Bulls are in right now where it feels like they're scrambling and trying to fight to stay relevant and if relevant is the bar then i guess you know but it feels unnatural an unnatural way to build a, a contender uh going about it that way i'd be more interested in the third pick and seeing what the price 100 for that um versus yeah, Dane Lillard. and if you go after the third pick um that's that's some top tier talent that's available to you now, depending on how the, the draft shakes out, the word around Brandon Miller doesn't seem very well. <laughs> so you may end up with So him. that's funny that you say that because I've heard that he has impressed everybody that he sat down and talked to. And a lot of people have put the, the stuff be- behind him that happened mm-hmm. with the unfortunate death of the young lady on, on the, uh, you know, the, the Tuscaloosa campus. So, yeah, I've, I've heard that he's answered everything in, in a way that, um, doesn't remove responsibility away from him, but he's he's made his case in a believable manner to people as if he did not know that things were going to transpire the way that they did by transporting the weapon in the back of the car the way that he did and you know his his knowledge of it and all this other stuff. Um and the other part is how much do you think Brandon Miller is going to change a franchise? Like 
We have a draft here where you have a true number one pick. Like, it, it, you just made me think about number one wide receivers back in the day where it's like, oh, is Devin Hester a, wide, a number one wide receiver? It's like, no, he's not. But he's unfortunately, you're number one, right? Like, there's a difference between having an ace and having a dude who is the best pitcher on your staff, right? Like, is Brandon Miller going to come in and change your fate as a franchise? Is it enough to put this thing in reverse and say, okay, this is the dude at six foot nine, 200 pounds. At some point, he is going to be a 26 point per game score. He's going to be a terrific defender. He's going to be a playmaker and he's going to be one of the better players in this league and a franchise pillar. I'm, I'm not willing to say that that's the case. I am willing to say that he was the best player that I saw in college basketball last year. And that's, you know, I think that, that, that was the case by leaps and bounds, but now when you're transcending to like even with Scoot Henderson, like the, the questions about Scoot Henderson's shot and all that and all these guys have, you know, holes that you're going to poke in their game. Next year's draft apparently is basura. Like next year is the yeah. draft that you want to mm-hmm. make sure that you are trading down or you don't have too much at stake. Like that's why. And the Bulls have that pick. Right. Not the next one. Right. And the good one. Right. In, in 2024, they have that first round pick. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it was such a kick in the rocks for the for the Detroit Pistons to finish where they finish because of what mm-hmm. these next few drafts are looking like from what the scouts say. But I don't know, man. Like, Mark Eversley and Arturis Karnaschovas. They're interviewing in players. The, they, they were talking to players. They were still active. Talking to a lot combat. of players in the top five. A mm-hmm. lot of players. Like, I think we're getting to the point where what was sold to us about Arturis Karnaschovas' um, stick-to-itiveness and his developmental demeanor I think that we're seeing and we have seen from the moment that he drafted Patrick Williams, like this dude is a trigger puller. Like he he's a guy. And and the problem that you have with that is if you keep firing and keep missing, you're going to, you know, it's going to run out quicker on you. Like I, I appreciate it. Calculate big swings. I appreciate calculated big swings. Um, the Nikola Vucevic was a big swing that had some calculation, but I don't think had much uh, foresight in terms of, okay, after this, after this year, and after Zach feels good about having a second all-star or an all-star type uh, teammate so you could stay and sign him long-term and start to build, okay, what, what are you talking about? What are we looking at here? And then that made you attractive to guys like DeMar DeRozan and guy in the Lonzo Ball thing that you've been kicking tires on for the for the year and a half previous. But now, when that thing goes up in smoke, but it's not all the way smoldering, right? It's like not, not all the way on fire, but enough of it is burnt out. Do you keep taking big swings and do they become more and more calculated or are they more and more wild? Like... Do you think this would be a wild swing for the Bulls to mess around after talking about continuity, jump into the trade market because they think they have to take a swing? Like, I just, the execution seems a little scattered to me, especially from what I heard coming into this. And especially after watching the Denver, like, watching the Denver Nuggets, all you need to know is it's right there for you. They acquired. Yeah. I thought we were getting that. 40, 41st pick in the draft is the, is arguably the best player remaining in these playoffs. Not even arguably. He is the best player remaining in these playoffs right now. Right? Michael Porter Jr. It was like, hey, don't draft me. My back is bad. I know where I want to go. Right? There's a dude who's compared to Kevin Durant. You know, not Rudy Gay. But there's a dude who's paired to Kevin Durant coming out of high school. You got Jamal Murray who coming out of Kentucky. Everybody knew was a baller. Right, everybody knew could play, and then you saw him on the big stage in the bubble. Then he gets hurt. Like they've drafted these players. The Aaron Gordon acquisition. I mean, that's that that is um a lottery pick who was asked to be a franchise player, asked to be a foundational piece next to Nikola Vucevic, and didn't work out. Guess what? He's out there being your third or fourth best player. And he was the reason why those first three quarters, I thought they didn't play well. One, they didn't run the ball. And when when they run, and Aaron Gordon is a dude that you have to be very aware of vertically. And a lot of the high-low stuff that he and Nikola Jokic do, it comes a lot of it on the secondary break. So his importance is paramount to that team 
And we're talking about a dude who was looked at in Orlando as maybe a little bit of a flame out cap ceiling guy. So if you could put something like that together in Denver and just wait for it to cook up, that's one thing because you're drafting these players and they're growing together. These unorganized seemingly swings that are taken one, these players don't grow together. So Mm -hmm. it stands out when they don't gel. And two, when, when it's really, really time to try to figure out what the problems are, you've taken problems from so many different situations and smashed them together that you don't know the genesis probably or the origin of the root problem. Like by the end of the Bulls season last year, we were talking so much about their offense that we, didn't, we really didn't focus on the fact that their defensive slippage and, and huge moments down the stretch was the reason why they weren't playing, playing, and then playoff basketball. So now... You got to, you know, <laughs> the guys like Patrick Beverly and the guys like Alex Caruso become so valuable to you because they didn't grow with you. They were Band-Aids. <laughs> They're covering up for some things that are already on your team, right? So it's like it, it, basketball is a Rubik's Cube, man. And uh, whoever's got the most time to finish getting them squares aligned, those are usually the teams that end up playing in these rounds that matter the most. Like you, you look at Boston, Marcus Smart. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Robert Williams, Grant Williams, right? I mean, Brad Stevens is the architect. He was on the ground floor that like, like these, these personalities and these understandings grew together. The Denver Nuggets, like I just mentioned, the Miami Heat, Jimmy Butler went somewhere where they speak his weirdo language and he speaks it right back to them. And it works. It works. The Lakers, I mean, you sacrifice assets to get one of the best players in the game and Anthony Davis and won a championship because of it. I don't give a shit how you feel about the bubble. You won a championship because of it. You got LeBron James because you were an attractive destination and you had, you had the, um, you had the things to get him. You had the things to acquire him. Unless you're making earth shattering moves like that, you're just spinning your wheels. If you're not drafting well, and let's really, really take a look at it. You know, you got Joel Embiid, you got Giannis Antetokounmpo, and you got Nikola Jokic, arguably the three best players in the league right now. You tell me where they were drafted and tell me who's disappointed in the biggest moments. <laughs> so that, it was my thing about with the Bears going into the tank season. I don't give a shit where you're picking. Do you know how to pick? Can you, can you evaluate talent? Or will you have to continuously be allowed the band-aids of trades and free agent acquisitions to cover up the fact that you can't put a team together? It'll, it'll all come out in the wash. And the fact that the Bulls are interviewing top five candidates, it, it means something. It means something. I don't know if there's pressure getting put on this front office because Michael Reinsdorf ain't stupid. <laughs> he hears what's being said. Right? Arturis Kardashovis and Mark Eversley ain't stupid. They hear what's being said. You got coaches getting launched after three years of Eastern Conference semifinals trips. You don't have three, four, five years to do this anymore. This thing has become the NFL. So I, I like to see what happens with plans when there's a little pressure applied to the plan. The pressure that was applied to this plan was Lonzo Ball's injury. And now for a year and a half, this team, this organization has been trying to catch up. At some point, they need to be playing the kind of basketball that we're talking about watching in in May and in June. But until then, calculated swings or big swings and misses. Time for some commercials. What up, world? It's Vic Spencer, and you're listening to The Full Goal with Jason Goff, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. All right. So, Jason. No, no, no. Don't fuck it. Don't don't fucking do it like that. Don't fucking do it like that. Okay? If we're gonna fucking do it, let's no, like if, if if we're gonna do it, let's do it like we're talking and like like not like you're your pod Tony. Okay. <laughs> take take pod Tony off after you finish kicking it with just, you know, you, you the, the great fellas over at Sports Adjacent, you know, and the good people over at NBC Sports Chicago. Like, treat this as like the players' lounge, okay? You know, you, you're never going to walk into a lounge and be like, so Jason. And if you do, you know, I'm, you're the police. Like, so, you know, <laughs> knock it off. Knock it off, Tony. <laughs> so Jason. He, he, he wanted to do it so much. <laughs> so Jason. Anyway. 
<laughs> my man, what we got? We just got him talking about the draft and Victor Wembanyama. Obviously, he's the top prospect. Um, the conversation about him has been running wild uh, since the lottery, with Woj saying he's the greatest prospect in team sports history, and yeah. and uh, I think today Chris Broussard saying that if he has a career like AD, Kevin Durant, or Hakeem Olajuwon, he is a disappointment. Why are we? <laughs> why is everybody tripping out and flipping out? about Victor so bad. Like the takes have been all over the place about this kid. And it's, it's been like interesting, but also like crazy. Yeah. I mean, motherfuckers got to stand out. Like, (laughs) that's all. Listen, man, Uh, this, this content space is hilarious to me because there's so many content creators there's so many microphones, there's so many voices, there's so many uh, moments that, you know, like, oh, you went viral this many times this month, or you got this many views and all that. Listen, if if Victor Wembanyama has the career of Kim Olajuwon, I, I think the San Antonio Spurs will be very pleased with their selection of Victor Wembanyama. By the way, V-Dub, okay? So I'm, from here on out, I'm calling Big V-Dub. It's fun. To do the hype thing is fun to do what could be. Um, this is all injury-based. I'm glad that they have a foot plan for him. Like they, they have an extensive plan on how they're going to take care of his feet because we all know players who are 7'2", seven, 7'3", seven, and above, um, th- there is a, uh, there's a, there's a finite amount of time that players that, bi- that big, that long on big feet can last. Um, you know, you think about Bill Walton. Right, you think about Arvidia Sabonis, you think about dudes like think about Sam Bowie, you think about all these big you think about Ralph Sampson, right? Like yeah, I, mean. I remember them yeah, exactly. And Yao was, you know, bigger trunk, right? 280, 275 pounds, that kind of dude. Um, and also, you know, you think about the way he plays, you know, landing zone fouls, man. Like, this is a league now where you get a flagrant because you stick that that you know that Zaza Pachulia foot under Kawhi Leonard's landing zone, but dudes do it. Like <laughs> dudes do it. Sometimes knowingly so, sometimes unknowingly so. When you got a seven foot two, seven foot three player, you know rolling ankles and things of that nature. Those are the things that I worry about. But I can't wait to see exactly what this is supposed to be because. We hear about the next great thing all the time. We rarely hear about something we haven't seen before. You know, we, we, when Zion hit the scene and he was dunking on them little white kids in South Carolina, we were all like, oh, we haven't seen this before. And I'm like, well, we kind of have, though. Like, we've seen Charles Barkley. Okay, we've seen some dude, you know, I won't put Larry Johnson in that category because we didn't see it long enough. But go back and go back and take a look at what Larry Johnson was doing in UNLV in his first few years in Charlotte before he hurt his back. Um, Lynn saw, Bias. Yeah. Yeah. God rest the dead. Lynn Bias. Um, we, we've seen physical marvels with that kind of force and speed and power. Um, we hadn't seen him in the social media era, right? We hadn't seen him with this much exposure, but we've seen those kind of guys. Ralph Sampson is a dude who my dad's friends used to talk about. Right? I don't remember watching too much because it was the mid to late 80s. Um, <clears throat> I actually worked with a guy who called Ralph Sampson's games when I was in Atlanta. My guy, Mac McDonald, Charlottesville, Virginia's finest. What's up, Mac? Ralph Sampson was a dude who was far before his time. And all those coaches was like, 7-4, you got to be in the post. And I was like, but I don't want to be in the fucking post. Like, I'm I'm skinny and I can shoot and put this thing on the floor. Like, let me play my game. And he was allowed to play his game. I want to see that on this level. We've seen, like, I remember seeing Dermar Johnson at the University of Cincinnati for the first time at six foot nine. And playing the shooting guard position, playing like a pure shooting guard, like coming off of pin downs, baseline cuts, screens, all those things, and thinking, damn, man, game's changing. Like, we got six foot nine dudes that are doing this off the pins. And, you know, this is when I was a kid, too. So I'm talking like I'm some kind of old head while I'm damn near the same age, just watching these guys. Seven foot three, 220 pounds at what, 18, 19 years old, and 
growing still and playing in a decent enough level of basketball. Like he's still got the, some warts on his game. Like after we're done with all the hyperbole, like, you know, he was a 28% three point shooter, something like that. It, it, the last time we saw him put up the requisite amount of threes in a, in a season, he, he's going to have his issues, but basketball is so beautiful, man, that it's going to tell you the truth very early. And I think very early, we're going to see a lot of grown men who are NBA um, respected players have trouble with him. Like these dudes, and this other thing too, anybody who plays like they don't know what the level of the, the basement should be for a lot of these guys are lying. These dudes are on the floor with professional players at a very young age. Like John Lucas was sneaking LeBron James into Cleveland Cavaliers practices when he was a junior in high school. Okay, Peja Stojakovic was a pro when he was 14, 15 years old. Jerry Krause was flying over across the pond to, to go scout that dude as a young player because he saw him against professional competition. So there, you know, we like to, you know, um, what was the uh, the Blue Chips? Was it Blue Chips, the basketball movie with Nick Nolte? Where it's like Neon Badeau was in a, in a warehouse in New Orleans with no shoes on, dunking on everybody he could possibly find. And all of a sudden, this little white man stumbles upon a barn. And next thing you know, he's got a national championship starting center. That shit don't happen no more. Like once you once we meet these people, there's already a certain amount of filtering and vetting that has been done. We out here talking about eighth graders now, man. Unfortunately so, but this is the case. So there's a certain level of expectation that I think he's going to clear. Like if, if he comes out averaging 17, 18 points a game his first year, it's not going to be some kind of, oh, he isn't the greatest player we've ever seen yet. Like, let's not do that. But we're going to see many of things that we haven't seen before. And yeah, everybody talks about the tip dunk from the three-point arc. That's not the most um, jaw-dropping stuff for me. Go watch some of his games. This dude is in and outing people at seven foot three. You know how long it takes for the basketball to get to the ground for a seven foot three stand-up dribble? And he's doing that against players who are roughing him up and not respecting him. And he's been a target since he was a kid. In a more physical league. Yeah, and, and and if Chris Broussard and, and all these people, shout out to Chris and you know, whose basketball opinions that you have to or don't have to respect, whatever the case may be. Like, I don't have to get into what he has to be. I just want to watch it. (laughs) I just want to watch it. I've never been the dude who's been upset that a great player was going up against my favorite team. I've never been the dude who's been upset when dynasties were happening. Like, some of the more fun times of my life was watching Cowboys 49 has kind of changed, um, you know, hand off who's going to be the best in the NFC in the 90s where, where Deion Sanders shifting the balance of power three or four years in a row. Like, I love watching dynasties. I love watching premium play. I love watching players fulfill those expectations. So if Victor Wembenyama is Kevin Durant or if he's Akeem Olajuwon, it's going to be no letdown for me because guess what? I fucking enjoyed watching the Kevin Durant and Akeem Olajuwon play. Like, I'm not here for this, man. We you, Post-Jordan, all we've done is ruin our experience of basketball watching. That's all we've done, dog. We've watched players who in, in years before and generations before would have been celebrated to the hilt. And all we've done is shit on them or find the reasons why we shouldn't like them because of a, a certain number of accolades they didn't attain or achieve. It sucks. So to start the, this early with this dude, nah, y'all can have that. I'm going to be over here enjoying the shit out of it. I'm going to be enjoying us watching Alien play amongst aliens. The dudes that we watch now shouldn't be able to do the shit that they do. And those dudes are in awe of a dude who hasn't done it yet. You feel me? Like, we're watching Anthony Davis be Bill Russell with a jump shot, and all we do is like, ah, uh, you know, AD didn't come to play last night. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, we're watching Carl Malone have the vision of Magic Johnson, and we're like, man, LeBron sure was gassed in that fourth quarter. Like, we're always going to have problems with great shit, right? Because that's what we are now and because of the tenor of the business. But nah, y'all can have all these expectations for Victor Wembanyama. He's going to meet them the moment he starts to realize his potential. And if he can stay healthy enough for me, that's going to be year two, year three. If the dude comes out, because this is the thing, to me, Moses Malone, 
Moses Malone got dropped in the NBA and was like, I'm better than all of y'all at 18 years old. All of y'all. Every, uh, looking at every one of you big men in the face. And this is when big men ruled the league. So why can't it happen again? Why can't a dude who has been being formed for the last two years, for this moment, why can't he reach the pinnacle very, very early? He's more skilled than, than Giannis Antetokounmpo. Way more skilled than Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis's motor, Giannis's length, Giannis's size, Giannis's understanding of angles. Those are the things where it's like Giannis is the most bagless player in his generation. All right, I'll take 50 in an elimination game and a championship for a franchise that nobody gives a shit about. I'll take that. I'll take that. Y'all just don't know how to appreciate it. Kevin Durant went from being the the Davis Love uh, to to LeBron James's Tiger Woods in the last three years. All everybody has done is for reasons to not give him the credit that he is due, including me, by the way, because I've talked about his legacy on this very pod. But Kevin Durant's foot is behind that line. We're talking about a different NBA history, ain't we? We ain't we we're not talking about the dad jokes coming from Giannis Antetokounmpo. We're talking about him trying to get the fuck up out of Milwaukee. Right? Like, things things happen for a reason. NBA history has changed on a dime. So, if a bad ankle injury hampers Victor Wembanyama's career very early on, I would hate it. Right? But I'm not about to sit here and say that if he isn't the greatest player of all time, I'm going to be let down. Because we've only seen the greatest player of all time come in one time. And that guy got close to it. One time. Tell me the dude who has been cast as this might be the next great that has lived up to it. Now, wait, Michael Jordan was not thought of as that coming out of North Carolina. LeBron James is the one dude who's like, hey, bet you won't be the greatest. <laughs> and motherfuckers is like, damn, he almost did it. <laughs> so, yeah, that's tall timber to live up to, to say somebody's the greatest prospect of all time. And then be like, if he doesn't have the greatest career of all time, then it's a letdown. Well, well guess what? Guess what? <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to get in that line to play that game. I'll just enjoy the fact that we got one of the better spectacles that we're getting ready to live through in our adulthood, right? Like sometimes you catch these moments when you're a kid, sometimes you catch it when you can't enjoy it. I feel like we're catching the Victor Wembanyama thing uh and, and the the goal and the duty as a sports fan is to just sit back and enjoy and watch this thing play out. Your boy Jimmy, nobody thought this Heat team was going to do anything. Everybody trashed the heat. It's beautiful. I, yeah. I don't. I, I don't. That's I don't, right. I don't remember seeing one analyst, one person ride for the heat this Mm-mm. whole season, and yeah. they're in the conference finals and up one zero yeah. on the Boston Celtics. Like, what is they it? They buried you? him in the play-in. Yeah. <laughs> they buried him in the play-in. Shit, Jason, I thought you, the Bulls had you, a chance to beat them. I thought the Bulls. I thought the Heat were the better matchup for the Bulls in the play-in. <laughs> The next thing you know, <laughs> these motherfuckers are waltzing their way to the, to the NBA Finals damn near. With their, I don't know what know, to say Second or third best player not playing because he broke his hand? Like, what, yeah. This yeah. heat thing is, is real. Heat culture is real. Yeah. Jimmy Butler is real. Well, yes. this is also the thing. Um, man, this is something that I actually wanted to start with tonight, and I, I didn't I, – I, I just – we just got off on a tangent having the fun that we have. They have a healthy um, respect for toughness and how toughness will balance things out. You know, I'm not the get off my lawn guy. I'm not the, my generation was better than this generation. Y'all know me. I, I try to stay away from that kind of conversation. But the the flopping and the, the culture of NBA like defense and toughness that has changed so much. So without even the rules forcing it to change, but just by what's being rewarded is fun to see a team just go out there and bludgeon you. (laughs) Just, just, just simply look you in the face and be like, you going to hit some shots. We we might make some, but you going to have to run through this gauntlet to do it. And you're gonna have to, and not just defensively, you're gonna have to run through it offensively. Like you're gonna have to pay attention to every back cut. You're gonna have to pay attention to dudes moving without the basketball. Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, like they got guys out here staring down teams that have been put together for championship runs. And it also lends 
credence to all this shit that we've been talking about the Eastern Conference. Uh, you know, the East is back. It ain't the West anymore. It's cyclical. Now the East is the East is fugazi as hell this year. Injury, I don't care. Call it injury, call it uncertainty, call it teams needing to be blown up, different leadership, whatever you want to call it. The Miami Heat took a look at the East and was like, we cool. Like all that shit that John Morant was talking about the West, the Miami Heat believed that. They believed that the entire time. And they believed it because they got that dude. Like, he's a Hall of Fame player. I think there's no doubt about that. He is a dude who I have I've had many, many issues with Jimmy Butler and the way that he's handled things at several different stops. And more, you know, most importantly, the one that we got a chance to observe right here in the city of Chicago when the whole Jimmy Butler thing was being born. But one thing that I will always say is he understands what hard work does in a moment where it might be easy to let up. Like the way he plays, the pace that he plays with, his understanding of angles, his understanding of how to get a bucket, how to get to the free throw line, his understanding of how to draw and, you know, drive and kick, his understanding defensively. Like the fact that in the first game, he looks at Eric Spolstra and says, out the tip, I am sticking Jason Tatum. I am guarding Jason Tatum. You ain't got to save me to the fourth quarter. Like, it's tone set and shit like that that we look at like it's Paul Bunyan-esque, but in the moment, it means something. It means something. You know, Jimmy Butler is the consummate, you know, you can't, you can't tell that dude my bad. You know, you, you can't because of how hard he played. Now, the issues are, same thing to make you laugh, make you cry because you, you depend on Jimmy Butler this much and then you get to the moments where, you need Jimmy to hit that turbo button a little bit more and he's giving you everything. He's giving you his all. And it's only game two of a series. And that's something that they, you know, I think the Celtics going, Celtics going to be able to shoot their way into a couple of wins, two, three wins here. I think this is a seven game series, but you know, the way that the Miami Heat have been put together, the way that they have um, developed, you know, and, and scouted. I mean, Gabe Vincent, who knew about Gabe Vincent? Who knew about Max Struess outside of DePaul fans and Chicago Bulls fans? You know, hell, before that, Duncan Robinson. Duncan Robinson was a, a guy out of Michigan. Shot the ball well enough, paid him $90 million, sat his ass on the bench when he wasn't playing well and said, we got another one of you. Bet your ass will start shooting well. And he did. Like, shout out to consequences and pressure. Because we find far too many of these teams and these dudes who we love talking big talk about in this city and others who can't wait to get that payday and 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 run away from consequences or pressure. You know, shout out to the thumb pointers out there. You know, shout out to the dudes who understand that if it don't get done, you goddamn right, it's your fault. Like, I miss those days of dudes putting their hand up and like, hey, man, I know I'm about to take the shit this summer. And and taking it, <laughs> and taking it. Not these cats who run around and can't wait to tell you behind the scenes or float this story to that person, float this story to this person, and say this didn't work. No, we know it didn't work. The best players didn't play well enough. I mean, the city of Chicago is a microcosm in itself, right? Look at the Chicago White Sox. Best players ain't played well enough. Team ain't shit. Look at the Bulls down the stretch. Best players didn't play well enough. Don't care about injury. Everybody's hurt. Didn't play well enough? Guess what happens? You mess around in the play-in. The Miami Heat didn't play well enough all year long, but they understood that there was something they could rest on. They could, they knew that if we get a chance, when we play a certain type of basketball that's going to travel, it's not going to be the dumb mistakes down the stretch. If the Miami Heat lose games, it's because they can't score. It's because Bam Adebayo can't get a shot off or isn't creating his own offense or isn't just offensively aggressive enough to neutralize whatever the other front court is doing. But if the Miami Heat score, if they hit threes, oh, you in for a long one. I don't care how pretty you want to play. I don't because their style doesn't switch. <laughs> it's not gonna be, we're gonna shoot the lights out. If they shoot the lights out, you in trouble. But they know that they're how they're gonna play pick and roll. Like for instance, Darvin Ham going to Rui Hachimura on Nikola Jokic, he found something. And then what did he have to do? Had to put D'Angelo Russell in the pick and roll more. D'Angelo Russell is one of the more um, experienced pick and roll players in the NBA just by attempts alone in the last two or three years. Go look up the numbers. 
You start in every offensive possession with D'Angelo Russell in the corner, and then when he doesn't hit shots, D'Angelo Russell doesn't play defense. Next thing you know, he's a net negative. You got to get him off the court. So, so you got to find ways to bring your best players along. And I think the Miami Heat all fall in line of, we got to do whatever we can to be the best player in that moment instead of having to be nurtured and coddled into being your best self. It's like, oh, if I'm not my best self, I can't be on the floor with Jimmy Butler. It's going to look bad. <laughs> I can't be on the floor with Bam Adebayo. It's going to look bad. Eric Spolster's going to chew me out because he's got the backing of the Godfather. Like, there's certain things. When we, that word culture gets thrown around all the time, but it really don't mean shit. What it means is we do things this way, <laughs> and if you don't do it this way, it's going gonna, it's gonna to stand out. You know, we don't even have to do the cold red and all this running up on you and, you know, jacking you up in the locker room. It is going to stand out if you don't do the things the way that we do them. And that's as simple as that. And that's why they can be sitting here with a 1-0 lead on the Boston Celtics squad who, you know, should feel shaky. They should feel shaky. That, that, that team is purely tougher than them. As simple as that. And a lot of that has to do with Jimmy. You mentioned all the time, Jay, like during the Bulls season is – Whenever the, those press conference came out, right, after a bad Bulls loss, and they would say the word unacceptable, and you would point it out. It was like, it's only unacceptable. It's extremely acceptable. Right. Until you, <laughs> you, until you love you it, actually. It it's, it's, right. it's your preference. Right. Yeah. In, 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 Miami, in Miami Heat basketball, that word unacceptable means something. Like, Duncan, they paid Duncan Robinson all that money. And for the majority the of the year, we were right saying that was me. the... That was the dumbest contract ever given this year. And what? Now they brought him back along. He's contributing. And he sat down for the most of the year because you are not going to play bad basketball on this team. It is unacceptable. And I like it when it's actually put into practice where a coach is empowered by the organization. And then it's level. The organization with Pat Riley, the coaches level with Eric Spolcher and Jimmy Butler. Everybody finds Bad basketball, unacceptable, and you would not be playing on this team if you do. Kevin Love looking like he's 50. Yeah. Yeah. He's, like, <laughs> yes. he's got gray hair. Figure and it out. And shit, Figure it out. It. You know, you got dudes who've been through the wars, right? And you got enough of an infusion of young. Like, they lost they're arguably their second best player at the start of this thing. At the very start of this, this playoff run. Right? Like we were talking about Chris Middleton. Tyler Hero is as important to the Miami Heat as Chris Middleton is to the Milwaukee Bucks. Just because of the they're they're bereft of scoring talent when you look at it. And all they do, all they do is grind your ass out. Just grind you all the way down. Fourth quarter, we there. We've been playing tough. We've been playing first, we've been playing since jump ball, like it's the fourth quarter. Now you in the fourth quarter, like, damn, we got one more of these to go. I mean, hell, that's what happened game two of the Nuggets-Lakers series to me. The Lakers looked up, had an 11-point lead, and they're like, all right, cool. <laughs> the Nuggets are like, all right, that air going to get to y'all now. By the way, Jared Vanderbilt, man, I, I'm a big fan. You can't, He can't play the rest of this series. He can't play the rest of this series. You, I appreciate what you do defensively. Uh, you no longer have to guard Steph Curry. You know, find yourself a seat right here next to Mo Bamba and the boys because it ain't – he can't hit a shot. They out there playing four on five. And Brian out there smoking layups. Anthony, I mean, Anthony now is going to have like 42 and 25 in game three because, you know, he played – he didn't play well offensively in game two. But, yeah, man, this NBA, like this is this thing has been for the taking. That, that, that's why the, the, the Bulls' struggles these last two years have been so crushing. Absolutely soul crushing. The injuries, the lack of, of cohesion, all the things, the, the lack of adjustments that you want to point out, whether it be defensively, offensively, whatever you want to, whatever you want to throw out there, all of it has been troubling because of how open, like this is the NBA that people have been wa- wanting and yearning for in the last 20 years of LeBron's run. Like this is the NBA that people have wanted for the last decade. They've got it the last two years and Bulls just haven't been players. They just haven't been players in this in this parody filled, not just Eastern Conference, but NBA. You, you got a playing squad and a, and a team that was left for dead at the trade deadline in your final four against two teams that are legitimate championship contenders. Like this is all you can ask for. Star power, coaching power, um, f- infrastructure intact with all four of these organizations. I mean, Rob Palenka was about to be drawn and quartered two, three years ago, you know? Now look at him. 
He found a $90 million player that went undrafted. Like, these are the things. These are the hits that you have to, you know, the Iowa DeSumos have to turn into, into, you know, glass slippers. You know what I'm saying? Like, these guys have to become those dudes for you to, to, to compete on this level. Or else all you'll be talking about is subbing out this, you know, middling all-star caliber player for this middling all-star caliber player. It has, there has to be an infrastructure, a, a quote-unquote culture, a style, whatever the case may be. Or all you're going to do is just be on the, you know, the, the island of uh, misfit basketball toys, which is what the Bulls have been for the last couple of years. It's the full goal, baby! That's all the time we have for episode 244 of the Full Go Podcast. My name is Jason Goff. I will continue to get checks from the ringer. And of course, this thing is brought to you by Spotify. Of course, they are the gang. Shout out to uh, our meticulous production staff, the shadowy figure that is known as Steve Cerruti, and the men who uh, I leave my professional fate in their hands every time I turn off one of these windows. <laughs> my main man, Tony <laughs> Gill. <laughs> and the fly guy, the smooth criminal, the, the chief vibes officer of the pod. He is Chris Sutton. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and back on out this thing because I don't know what's been said. And I know this has been a, a wild week and things being said in the city of Chicago when it comes to the sports talk industry. This was a good basketball pod. I felt good about this. We talked about some basketball things. Um, maybe we'll get into the White Sox sell off at some point here in the next couple of weeks because that's all we're doing, White Sox fans. We're watching former White Sox players playing White Sox uniforms. That's all we're doing. We're watching Tim Anderson, Nilo Jimenez, and all these. My man Dylan Cease out here getting touched up. That slider ain't sliding like it used to slide. We're just, you know, that's all we're doing. Royal Series is going to start. I'll probably be over at the G-Rate hanging out with y'all. You know, come up to me. Come come, come, holler at me if you see me out here in these streets this weekend. Royals versus White Sox. We'll talk a little bit about that on Sunday. Uh, Ryan Poles, looking for a pass rusher. We'll talk about that on Sunday as well. There are some trade targets that I want to get into with y'all. And, of course, the voicemail line is always open for you at 773-359-3103. At 773-359-3103. The full goal voice mail uh uncensored unfiltered uh unedited and unimaginable you know terrific content i'm lying i'm lying most of your calls are shit and we can't really use much of the content that comes from that vessel but you know it is what it is step up y'all game uh i've tried to step up mine and you see what the output has been so um help out the pod So for Chris Sutton, Tony Gill, Steve Cerruti, I'm Jason Goff. Leaving you all with this. Take care of each other. Be safe. And remember to stay sucking free. Peace.